My name is Jamie Piles. I joined Samaritan in December of 1996. We were homeschooling our kids and we were already thinking outside the world's box, if you will. And I saw a little tiny classified ad about this new kind of idea I'd never heard of before. My first reaction was, that's the kind of thing that we would do, isn't it? And so I finally called the number, talked to them, and the more I asked them questions, the more I liked their answers. Pumpkin spice is over now. What? You, you, it, pumpkin spice season is over now that the Reformation Day has been celebrated. There was never yeah. a pumpkin spice. Yeah. There was. I think there kind of is. No, but, no, there right. wasn't. Right. Yeah, Martin Luther didn't have no pumpkin spice in his. He had some <laughs> he beer. Had some beer. Yeah, dark. Come on, bro. he probably had pumpkin German. spice no, beer. Hey, y'all, welcome it. to Cross Politics on the Five Lives Network. Pastor Toby Talk Knocks. I'm the Water Boy. We got our good friend James Raymond coming on. Yeah, and and um, uh, many of you uh, maybe you've heard we've had him on a couple times. And uh, back in 2021, when we had him on, uh, a church uh, from Seattle. So James ministers to kind of, um, uh, you know, Middle East, yeah. Middle Easterners. Uh, and a church from uh, Seattle reached out to him. Uh, and James, you might be able to touch on this a little better than I am, but I, I'm actually just going to read a little bit of your text. Um, and you had a, an Afghan church reach out to you um, to help with local Afghans that then led to, um, you guys to finding out about a bunch of Afghan Christians who got out of Af- Afghanistan who were stuck in refugee camps in Abu Dhabi. So that was back in 2021. So James comes on our show. Um, so another yeah. church finds out about him through coming on our show. And then they're able to end up um, extraditing or whatever you want to call it uh, about nine Afghan Christian families uh, from uh Abu Dubai, and then they're now planning a, a Dari speaking church in Seattle. Just super. We pronounce cool it Abu, connection. Abu Dhabi in the real world. Abu thank Dubai. You. Thank you. <laughs> Abu Dubai. That's how they say it over. Uh, yeah. uh, we Americanized it and said Abu Dhabi. No. <laughs> oh hey, uh, in a, just just a second, James. Um, I, let me read this ad, and then I, I want to jump into that conversation yeah. with you. If you're a fan of Cross Politic or the Fight Life Feast Network, then surely you know we have a merch store where we never never sell anything with pumpkin spice in it. <laughs> Rowdy Christian merch is your one-stop shop for everything cross-politic merchandise. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, but we've also got specialty items like backpacks, mugs, coffee. Yep. Oh, we got flannels coming. Even pod cases. Yeah. Flannels. Yeah, flannels are coming. Uh, my kids want to know if there's going to be crew sweatshirts. Whatever they want. Whatever they I want. Know. I know Hallelujah. crew sweatshirts Gold. are so in right now. Apparently, crew, Hallelujah. crew sweatshirts are in. Our producer's oh, wearing one. Are we doing one? Yeah, our okay. producer's wearing one. Yeah. Visit Rowdy Christian merch at rowdychristian.com today and buy that next gift. You know, it's not too early to start Christmas shopping. Mm. It really is. I feel God right there. And uh, you might also want to think about Thanksgiving gifts because, you know, who? Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want a Thanksgiving uh, yeah. gift? I mean, Reformation yeah. Day uh, after the party gifts. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or maybe just Reformation party gifts. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, it's been a great party. God is Here's good. a gift. Here's a gift. Right. Because <laughs> grace is free. That's Again, right. that's Rowdy Christian. Amen. But the swag jo- I'm just letting you know right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you can give gifts that's for true. free. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, you can James Raymond, founder of the Al Maida. I, I now I'm going to be a gay. Abu Dhabi. Uh, <laughs> Christian nonprofit that equips the church to understand and communicate better with Muslims on a range of religious, political, and worldview issues. His goal is to create genuine friendships without shying away from the exclusivity of Jesus' mm. message. James, thanks for coming back on Cross Politics. Thanks for having me, guys. So, um, 
Gabe says I should ask you this question. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the setup here is exactly. But how has bad eschatology contributed to the this Israeli-Palestinian conflict? I, I mean, Israeli, you know, Hamas conflict. And uh, how can gospel optimism uh, make a real-world difference over the next hundred years? That's a big question. So, without picking too hard on any particular eschatology. I would actually argue that one thing American Christians have done well is had an optimistic vision for Israel. Uh, And as a result of that, Christians have invested time, they've invested uh, resources, they've invested in relationships, and they visit Israel all the time. And having this loving disposition towards Israel has an impact on American politics, meaning that support of Israel is not a partisan issue in this country. The left supports Israel for their own reasons, and the Republicans generally support Israel because evangelical Christians love Israel. And I, I actually don't think that's that's a bad thing, as long as we're having a proper Christian love of Israel. And a proper Christian love of Israel is the type of love that a parent has for their child. When you see your screaming toddler on the floor and you discipline them and you love them and you're there for them, believing in who they're supposed to be one day. And that type of Christian love is transformational. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that that type of Christian love is good for Israel. The type of love that's bad for Israel is the type of love that a high school boy has on his crush, where he just completely idealizes her and has no idea who she actually is and just praises every single thing about this woman who isn't even no. And that's what a lot of the sort of dispensational theology about Israel is like. It just takes the country as it is, warts and all. Um, however, if uh, if Christians are done a good job with Israel, um, it's not that Christians in America hate Palestinians. The problem becomes we tend to see them like non-player characters, NPCs. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's it's it's sad that bad things are happening to them. Uh, and there's there's some level of empathy, but there's no constructive vision of the future of what they could be, which means there's not any investment. There's not any long-term real hope. So you get Mm. a lot of people who will protest things and a lot of people who will sort of sympathize with things, but protesting and sympathizing actually doesn't build any kind of future. Mm -hmm. All it does is address grievances over and over again. So um, maybe... Speak to this current conflict. Yeah, I was going to say, um, maybe um, if you would, I want to ask a few more follow-up questions about some of that, but would you be just willing to briefly, I mean, I, I mean, I know this is mean, really. Actually, Brief, like in but, 10 words or less. Um, but briefly kind of summarize, like, um, where, you know, where are we right now? What is going on right now? I mean, I think people have caught bits and pieces in the news. We've seen some horrific images of, of um, you know, of, of children and women and, you know, this kind of thing. Wh- where are we right now in this conflict? So three weeks ago, uh, uh, Hamas la- launched a large border raid into southern Israel, murdered a bunch of civilians, uh, killed some soldiers, and took a lot of people hostage. Then Israel has been doing regular airstrikes on Gaza, 
and has now just started raids and the beginnings of a ground uh, invasion mm. where they're starting to move tanks in, they're starting to move troops in to try and basically remove Hamas, the government of Gaza, from power and uh, and basically try and forge a new but unspecified future. Is is so? What's the relationship between the Hamas or Hamas, as I like to call them, the Hamas and uh, Palestine? So, the Palestinian territory was carved up into the West Bank, which would be uh, next to Jordan, the country, and the river. And then there's the Gaza Strip, which is on the southern coast. Those are not currently connected. At one point, they were all run by the Palestinian Authority, but there were elections where Hamas won and seized power in the Gaza Strip in 2007. Was that a so, legitimate election? Were there stuffing ballots or? I I don't know, man. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but th- there was there was uh, whatever there was there was there was conflict. There was actually kind of a sort of small civil war between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority. So they reflect different factions of Palestinian resistance and governance styles mm. uh, for the Palestinian cause in different geographical locations. So why did why did the Hamas pick this fight? Why did they start it? Or or this or, I guess and, current round or whatever. Well, and, and why now? Yeah. So th- there's there's a few factors here, but I think a, a big part of this is that Israel is very much on the verge of normalizing relationships with other Arab countries, like Saudi so, Arabia. Like Saudi Arabia, yeah. and Saudi Arabia is the big one yeah. here, right? Uh, because there's a certain extent that while Saudi Arabia doesn't represent all Muslims. That's where Mecca is. That's where Medina is. That's where everyone has to go. So they they still have a very powerful voice in the Arab world. Right. And uh, you know also the there's a growing Israeli settlements in the West Bank. And I think uh, Palestinians in general feel like their situation is getting worse and worse, and the wider world cares less and less. Uh, and be, and and as as Israel normalizes relationships with the Arab countries, less and less people kind of care about the Palestinian situation. So what Hamas is essentially trying to do, uh, and by the way, Iran does not want Israel and the other Muslim countries to normalize relationships either. So what Hamas is essentially trying to do is make Israel as angry as possible so that Israel will react, bomb a bunch of people, cause a bunch of death Mm. so, so that the other Muslim country is going to have a hard time aligning with them. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, it's kind of like a, it, it may, you could almost see it as like a last ditch effort to kind of keep the struggle alive and renew this so that Israel doesn't get normalized. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't Israel know that that is the play that's happening to them right now? And when they want to, I mean, if they are actually looking to normalize a relationship then wouldn't that be a big part of saying, how do we do that and protect ourselves? Because whatever is going on, normalizing this relationship means a bigger win than actually taking over and bombing Gaza. So I I think part of this, I think part of the reason Israel is unprepared for this, and it's um, the same reason uh, what a lot of secular nations are doing right now, is 
an over-reliance on technology mm. and feeling a little bit overconfident in your intelligence and technological superiority and not doing enough due diligence to the human element on the ground, the kind of things that are re- the kind of things where real intelligence happens. Um, you know, people talk about spyware and the government listening to you all the time. But the fact is, if the government collects, if the government is collecting everybody's data, that means somebody's got to pass through all that and you know and make some sense out of the data, which is a vast, impossible task. Uh, real intelligence work really happens through contacts, through relationships through you know these sorts of things more than anything and i think secular countries tend to underestimate your religious zealots to put it simply mm. and and i mean there was i mean pretty significant it would seem intelligence breach and with the hamas attack yeah yeah so i mean i don't know my, i might be throwing a question on you that you really don't want to answer but a lot of people as soon as this all happened everybody jumped to their sides um and i don't know if anybody thought about who i mean they everybody immediately knew who was right and who was wrong knew what should happen and what shouldn't happen how would how should we be thinking about this and is there a side to take on this how do christians need to be processing this um and and our relationship to israel i mean do we do we uh, believe that college girls, um, you know, takes on takes on the 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 uh, the, Hama, the Hamas? I can't even say it now. Hamas. The, the Hamas, <laughs> Palestinian. You know, you got all these New York well, college age girls. I mean, well, pro- ma- massive protests yeah. actually all over the world yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, but particularly on college universities, were supporting Palestine yeah. and the Gaza Strip. So I think one thing that's really helpful for the Christian is. Think about how similar the setup in Jesus's day was to the setup in our day. Uh, Meaning, if you look at the life of Jesus and the Judeans at the time of Jesus, the Jews at the time of Jesus, their situation was very similar to the Palestinians. So they are people who do have historic ties to the land, who do not control their land. They don't have a military. They are allowed to access their holy place, but the, the threat of it being taken away is there all the time that you occasionally have heavy-handed crackdowns by this military that essentially rules over them and in the air all the time is this is this sudden edge of okay we're on the edge of a revolt and the corresponding crackdown from the superpower that's happening okay who's the superpower and and who's not allowed to have a military so the palestinians are not allowed to have a military okay and so who's right the superpower now. in it, 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 Israel, Israel is a yeah. okay. is, is a superpower in the situation. Okay. Right. Again, I'm not ta- I'm not commenting on whether or not Israel should be there. The fact yeah. is they have one of the best armies in the world. They have nuclear weapons. Th- th- compared to the Palestinians, they're a superpower. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Helpful. All right. Um and and so um it, it's a very fr- helpful framework to see how Jesus himself plays into a conflict that is very much like this one, which is uh, you know, all these human sides are happening. The Romans thought they had a divine right to rule over all the land. Right. And the Jews thought they had a divine right to kick these people into the sea. And Jesus takes the approach where he's pushing people not to get drawn into this human contest of pride and bloodshed, but to start with looking at your own sin. Mm. Uh, 
like like Jesus spends almost no time commenting about the Roman government. He of course says things that apply to the Roman government, but when he's talking to Pilate, he essentially treats him as an irrelevancy, right? He says, you'd have no authority over me unless right. it was given to you from above. Right. Uh, so uh, it's not about figuring out whose side you're on. It's actually figuring out how to be someone who is in God's side in every situation, which means love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. It means you're on the side of truth, even when that means you have to praise your enemies, even when it means you have to criticize your friends. Like That's the kind of person a Christian needs to be in this situation. And you could be a Christian of good conscience who's Palestinian. You could be a Christian of good conscience who's Israeli, but a Christian of good conscience must always be seeking to like follow God's commandments in the middle of every situation. And I, and I think getting back to what you said a, a little while ago, um, James, the, I liked your analogy and maybe I'll, I'll try to m give it a little bit more specificity, but you, you talked about loving Israel like a, like a, like a toddler, um, and not loving Israel, um, or, like or, crush. or the Palestinians yeah. for that matter, like a crush where you don't, you're not willing to call out, uh, warts and, and problems. I think that you're know, getting at the, the very same point here. And I think one other thing to point out is so Zionism, which has been um, kind of is the view of, of um, dispensational Christians who who believe that um, somehow when that God has kept an old covenant with Jews that's still in effect, basically, and that the church is some kind of parallel project that God has over here. The new covenant is something different. And, and, and Zionists, dispensationalists, believe um, that um, once the Jews rebuild the temple and reestablish animal sacrifice in the temple on Mount Zion, that's what will usher in the return of Jesus. And so there's been this really misguided view of like, if we can just get the Jews into this land, rebuild the temple, they start offering sacrifices, Jesus will come back. Um, which I think you're getting at is sort of that's the crush love. That's the like, yeah. they can do no wrong. They can do no evil. We've got to get them there. We got to get them together. They got to offer the sacrifice and Jesus will come back, which has been a massively misguided project. Not, not just not to mention the fact that it's utterly blasphemous um, to Jesus mm -hmm. um, who is the last sacrifice. Right. Um, and any uh, additional sacrifice following that is, is, is blasphemy. Um, is, is that getting at what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, for sure. That is the unhealthy love that a Christian can have for Israel. And that's the kind of love that's going to enable them in doing, you know, everything they want to do. So it's like Israel is not a perfect country. There's, it's a country that has many like unbelieving Jews who do not accept Jesus as a Messiah. And it's a country that has, you know, pride parades and abortion and all the same evils that the West has right. as well. Um, so, so again, like any Christian love of Israel should have open eyes and be sober, hopeful, optimistic, right. willing to invest, but soberly and thoughtfully. I, I've told my congregation recently that um, we ought to think in terms of, um, in terms of, insofar as you have a people group that still um, is, a, is still reading the Old Testament, reading the Torah, um, is a monotheistic to some extent cares about the 10 commandments to some extent, you definitely have a, um, a, a somewhat similar worldview, uh, of, uh, you know, compared to Iran or Pakistan. Right. Um, that means you've got people who are, um, really, um, 
Well, I think in terms of they're they're really primed for the gospel. I mean, they've got the first half of the story. We have the punchline. And then I think also thinking about it as a launching pad for reaching the rest of the Middle East for the gospel to the extent that you can get into Israel easier than other Middle Eastern countries. Um, What an awesome opportunity. Um, But that doesn't mean, though, that uh, the nation state of Israel has some kind of unique position in the kingdom of God other than sort of those practical and strategic opportunities we have yeah. um, because of um, who they are in their history. Yeah. Um, James, how does, uh, I wanted to know if James had a response. To oh, that. Do you have a response to that James? Yeah, I, I think, um, I, I mean, I, th- I think there's, there's, you know, on the one hand, there's the dispensational side of things, which is again, kind of this parallel kingdom. And then I think, just, you know, if we think about the intentionality with which God scattered the nation of Israel, uh, it's not an accident that there is an Israel on the map with Jewish people living in it. Right. God clearly has good plans for Israel, but that's just not to the exclusion of the other nations. It's not to right. the exclusion of the Gentiles. Right. It's uh, it's for everybody's good. Right. So I think, yeah, you know, it's for me as a Christian who reads the Old Testament. I am excited that there's a nation of Israel, and I believe God's going to do good things there. I also believe God's going to do a lot of good things in a lot of other places too. Right. So, yeah, so it, James, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to yeah, add yeah. one last Please. thing. Is I was to say too. I mean, I, I think. I mean, the way Paul talks in Romans 11, I think he actually yeah. sees the conversion of the Jews as being actually really significant in right. in the history of the world. Um, and so that would be something that um, and the Reformed um, Puritans in particular yeah. prayed for and worked for the conversion of the Jews. And and you're right. It's it's like it's a pretty astounding thing. I mean, there are many nations in the history of the world that have gone into the dustbin of history and no one knows their names anymore. Yeah. And after all them ites. Uh, yeah, all them ites. And after 70 AD, the, the destruction of Jerusalem and the complete destruction of this nation, nevertheless, um, regardless of like actual like blood connections, right. you still have this like people group that has continued to exist for 2000 years um uh that's oriented to the torah oriented to abraham and um and that's just yeah that that is really fascinating and it does seem like paul says you know what you know if 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 the if the the casting away of the jews um has been is the reconciliation of the world what will be the conversion of the jews but life from the dead that's right i I think there's um a reason for a pretty optimistic expectancy about them and the nations all around them yeah. So, so James, how does how now you witness to Muslims? Uh, that's kind of your main ministry. How does this war like mess mess with that, or or open up doors? Uh, it opens up doors for it, really, because uh, everybody's very raw right now. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of one of these moments where you see the worst parts of human nature. Right. And. I, I think what I see both in Israelis and Palestinians are the kinds of things that make me just kind of want to recoil and just like not talk to anybody. But um, Christian love doesn't do that. Christian love moves closer towards people, mm. um, even when we disagree with them. So the what, what I've been focusing on here is I've just reached out to every Israeli and Palestinian I know in the area and I've just checked in on them as individuals. So I talked with an Israeli woman who's divorced and you know, her best friend lost her husband in the raids and she went to a funeral, got laid off from her job. And then her 17 year old daughter was walking back 
from her dad's house as these rockets were getting closer and closer and closer, and she had to wait for her uh, she had to wait for her daughter to uh, like get home before they go to the shelter. And then conversely, I've been talking with a uh, Palestinian man from Gaza who became a Christian, was on the run from Hamas, but then um, his wife and children are stuck in Gaza, and he hasn't heard from them. Mm. Uh, and I, it's, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting connected to all these sort of human elements of, 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 of this. And, uh, I, I think we can get so caught up in the big picture. We forget to you know, love our neighbors. Right. So I talked with a Palestinian and one of their relatives is in prison right now during this whole thing. Now, I don't know if this person committed a crime to be put in prison or whether they've been imprisoned under false pretenses. But in, in that moment, when I'm with this person, it doesn't actually matter. I just have to be there for, you know, my neighbor. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that your uncle is in jail. I'll be praying for him. That's all that's needed from you, the Christian, in that mm. moment. You don't need to figure out the yeah. macro situation. But one thing I've been doing with the Palestinians I've been talking to is I've actually... I've actually been sharing that I think Christians have done a bad job with the Palestinians over yeah. history. And that I think the Bible gives us great ground for having an optimistic view of the Palestinians specifically too. So if you're in the negotiating room, you got Netanyahu on one side and the, the Gaza leadership um, on, on the other side, how are you helping them sort through this? I mean, what would you say? To both sides. Gosh. So I think one thing I would have them do is I would try and have them say what they think the other person's argument is. <laughs> mm. That would be, yeah. that, that'd be, that'd be phase one because it like so often you just, it's easy to misrepresent what other people right. are saying. And then I think what I would be trying to get out of them, but especially from the Israeli side would be, okay, we get that there's a problem you feel like you need to deal with here. Uh, and you're going to deal with that. But what are you going to build in its place? What is a constructive vision for the future? So Christians are told to love our enemies. So if that's, if that's the principle at play here, uh, at some point this war is going to be over. And then what? Do you just like leave? 1.8 million people in a pile of ruins with no resources. Is mm. that going to go well? Do you like deport them to a different country or do you actually work towards a positive vision where, okay, we're going to have to do what we're going to do here, but afterwards we're going to turn you into Dubai on the Mediterranean. Uh, and, and both sides need to be able to have a positive vision of the future of how their current enemies could be their future friends. Huh. And that's ultimately the, gospel the gospel yeah right that's good that's really good. and i think i think um maybe another way to frame and i don't want to put words in your mouth but i think like real love cares about real justice mm. and not just getting even and i think there is a certain kind of real hubris you were talking about the kind of pride and hubris of like technology earlier i think there's just a real pride and hubris of western nations in general yeah. and like and then when you like you strike us and then what comes out is that angst, that anger, that wrath, 
because how dare you touch me? Right. Which is not the same thing as justice at all. And there's clearly a cause for Israel to seek to protect their people and to do justice for the crimes that were actually committed. Right. But, um, but you're right. Um, uh, you know, wrath, (laughs) wrath doesn't, um, work the righteousness of God. No. The wrath of man does right. not work the righteousness of God, and you and, and you end up actually stirring up m- more problems down the road. If right. you and this is why um, the biblical principle of justice is eye for eye. Yeah, that's actually God saying the most you that's can take. Enough. The most you can take when someone's taking out that's your right. eye is is an eye. Yeah. But our temptation is when someone takes out our eye, we want to take off their head. Their head. Right. And and what that stirs up is feuds yeah. and gang wars and civil wars. Yeah. Um, but I got to read an ad and, okay. that, and then you yeah, can ask I, a question. I come, yeah. Okay. Not so, not so long ago, the American dream was alive and well. Employees who worked hard were rewarded and employers looked for people who could do the job, not for people who had the right political views. Redballoon.work is a job site designed to get us back to what made American businesses successful. Free speech, hard work, and having fun. If you're a free speech employer who wants to hire employees who focus on their work and not identity politics, then post a job on redballoon.work. If you're an employee who's being censored at work or is being forced to comply with the current zeitgeist, post your resume on redballoon.work and look for a new job. Redballoon.work, the job site where free speech is still alive. Redballoon.work. It struck me while while James was talking about, you know, how he'd answer if he's in the negotiating room. What what do you say? You know, uh, we can't be that short-sighted on this conflict. I mean, it's basically like a 2,000-year conflict to some extent, right? I mean, Israel hasn't been a nation. Um, Israel got reinstated as a nation back in 1947, 49. 48. 48. But they weren't a nation or officially a nation um, or weren't recognized as a nation. But so there's been like, but they've been there for a long time. So there's been this conflict. So no wonder it's like, James, your, your, your answer is just like, well, it really just does come down to the gospel. I mean, how do you, how do you imagine a marriage that had 2000 years of conflict? <laughs> you know, I, right. I've counseled a few people. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that felt like 2000 years, <laughs> but that like, that is the answer. Like the only way you get over this, you know, centuries right. um, old hurt and pain and, yeah. and you know, who knows the atrocities that Israel's committed on, on yeah. the, the Middle Easterns and who knows the atrocities the Middle Easterns have committed on Israel over these last 2000 years. I mean, it really is the gospel that's going to solve that. Go ahead. James. Yeah. Just, that was kind of open-ended, so, but so um, there's actually a really interesting verse in the book of Zechariah about uh, the Palestinians. So uh, the Arabic word for Palestinian is Philistine. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's the same, it's the same thing. Um, but Zechariah nine, six says this, I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abominations between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Hmm. Then I'll encamp at my house as a guard so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. Hmm. Wow. So, you know, Zechariah is a, is a book which has you know long-term pictures of the world starting with jesus riding into jerusalem on a donkey which is the next next verse after this yeah and you know it it cycles around a bit um for sure but there's this this is this the vision presented here is that the palestinians the philistines 
that ultimate destiny is not one of being destroyed, but is being a part of one people and ultimately becoming one people with, with Israel, mm. uh, like Atlanta and Judah. Right. And that God will watch over them and stop them from being oppressed forever. So if we can get our heads around this as Christians, we can also invest in the Palestinians and Palestine in the same way we've invested oh. in Israel and the Israelis. You know, James, that was really good because, but I think you're right. How we started off this conversation dealing with eschatology, it's hard to believe that if your eschatological position doesn't hold to the right. God is actually transforming the world and bringing every enemy into subjection to Christ right now. Every knee about every knee about every tongue yeah. confess. And so you, there has to be a different perspective on what the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually doing in the world right now, um, and and transforming hearts and minds. Yeah. So that it can apply beyond the right. borders that we pre that we've set yeah. um, in our. The gospel is not just for Israel. Right, it's for everybody. Well, and and I think you th I think of Paul too, where he you know he says that the that the gospel is a message of reconciliation, mm. and I and I think you know that like I don't know maybe we say that sometimes in a kind of a kind of pietistic way, but no, like like we have been entrusted with a message of reconciliation, where the animosity, the enmity that has existed between man and God, but also between man, man and, and man, man, yeah, yeah, is is it goes to the cross and it dies. And that's a message for that is a message for wrecked marriages. That is a message for parents and children who are, are no longer on talking terms. It's a message for uh, countries, uh, racial and ethnic animosities. It's it's a uh, yeah. It's it's a message uh, for uh, Jews and Philistines, yeah. uh, for for Palestinians and yeah. Israelis, uh, and for terrorists and their victims. Ugh. I mean, I mean that's I mean, and it, it has to go back to the cross where all that animosity and all that enmity dies. It's mm. crucified, um, and then and then and then because Jesus has taken the guilt. Because you, I mean, that's the thing is like you, you were talking earlier about two thousand years of of crime. And this is just applies everywhere, like to all crime, all sin everywhere. Like you can't add it all up. That's yeah. right. You can't sort through it. And if you, if you're trying to just, you're trying to demand like blood from a rock, like yeah. I'm going to get this out of you. Yeah. You're never going to be satisfied. That's right. You'll always be angry and yeah. you will always be hurt. That's right. But the message of the gospel is that God took all that pain, all that hurt, all that shame, all that guilt. And he laid it on his own son who was perfect and crushed him with that so that it might all be paid for. Um, that, that's, I mean, that's the message of Isaiah 53 that, that, um, um, that, that he laid on him, the iniquity of us all yeah. uh, so that by his stripes, we might be healed that, that by his chastisement, we might have peace. Right. Um, and that includes peace in the middle East in yeah. this time and space. James, where is a way that people can follow you, keep track of what you're doing? Are uh, you writing on these things? What, what's the best way to keep in touch with you? Yeah, so you can find us at almaida.org. That's A-L-M-A-I-D-A-H.org. Or you can follow us on YouTube, which is probably the best place to keep up with our content. We put out uh, content every week, some Q&A videos, some longer podcasts about this. And sometimes we talk to Muslims directly about these issues. And so we're trying to put out as much as we can. I appreciate that. Man. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Please keep up the good work, James. Really That's appreciate really you, man. I've really enjoyed it. All right. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Hi, I'm Luke Ritchie. Wrong timeline.
Okay, that's better. Time travel mechanics can get a little bit tricky. I'm Luke Ritchie, Chief Visionary Officer of Gravity Jack. In 2009, we founded Gravity Jack and essentially patented AR. What I'm about to tell you about is a vision that was 14 years in the making, War Tribe of Vinyaman. This is a game that feels so real, it might be. It's a genre-defining game for AR and mobile and the Apple Vision Pro. We've integrated artificial intelligence, not just into the characters in the game, but actually in the business model of War Tribe. So I love augmented reality games. They're one of my favorites. Uh, but the problem is it seems like they've added AR as an afterthought into the game. What if you sat down for 14 years and planned the entire thing around augmented reality? Games make a ton of money, and typically that money doesn't end up in the pocket of the players. We intend to change that. Lastly, and this is important, half the world has never and never will be targeted by big tech for an AI natural language processing engine. We're definitely going to change that. War Tribe of Binyamin has gameplay like you've never seen before. We have portals opening everywhere, we have holographic communication, but what's really cool too is the world of 2133 is accurately geo-overlaid on the world of today. We're laser focused on ROI for our shareholders, which is you. One of the things we're doing that's super unique that's never been done before is taking 10% of in-game revenue monthly and giving it off as a dividend. The other co-founders and myself started Gravity Jack in 2009, but in 2007 we'd actually sold our company to a gaming company. We've hired the best of the best in terms of game development. Our director of development, product designer, are all veterans in the gaming space. Uh, and not only that, we're going after a market that's gigantic. We're combining four huge major markets, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, translation, and gaming, uh, all for a combined market value of 1.85 trillion. Our incredible history has led us to be experts in mobile development, augmented reality, AI, gaming, and computer vision. It's been a wild ride here at Gravity Jack. A benefit to being so early on in augmented reality has led to a robust patent portfolio with active revenue and more to come. We've had the privilege of working with clients such as Oscar Mayer, Kraft, Lincoln, Samsung, T-Mobile. We've also worked on non-lethal Department of Defense contracts as well. We were a reference developer for Meta on the Oculus 2 directly, creating a game where other developers look to our source code for best practices. Early on in Gravity Jack's history, we did a game for Double Down Casino, and at the end of that contract, it was grossing 35 million a month. Our robust history has led us to be experts in augmented reality, AI, gaming, computer vision, and mobile development. Play to earn opportunities for the impoverished create an AI language model for unreached people groups, allowing us to have an eventual monopoly on speaking to half the planet. Our focus is shareholder dividends immediately after the game and into the future to create a game that's gonna blow the world's minds. And we're pulling people out of poverty and into productivity. So what's the ask? Join the Binyamin. Cheap.